Welcome to another episode of Electable. I'm Deb Chubb, and today we're going to take on another topic about the environmental safety uh, here in Indiana. And we are very lucky to have with us one of the best experts in the state. Um, so Ashley Williams has been working on this and other issues uh, regarding the environment for many years. And so Ashley, I would love it if you would just give us a little bit more about your background um, and what kind of stuff you've been working on. And then of course, what you're working on now. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Deb, uh, for having me, and thank you for your kind words. Uh, so hi, y'all. Um, Ashley Williams here. I live in Michigan City, Indiana, and um, I am the executive director of Just Transition Northwest Indiana. Um, just some background on me. I've been here for um, actually coming up on six years. I'm originally from Illinois, from Ottawa, Illinois. And so when I talk about my background and how I came to find this work and who I am, I really talk about um, me growing up up really within an extractive uh, sacrifice zone. And so I've really known extractive industry and been around it most of all my life. My dad uh, worked at the nuclear plant, the Exxon nuclear plant LaSalle station back at home in Ottawa. And um, little known, I think about LaSalle County where I grew up is that it's actually known as the, the frac sand capital uh, of the Midwest and even wow. some of the largest in the country. And when we talk about frac sand, what I, what I am meaning when I talk about that is that it's the the sand that's used for hydraulic fracturing. And so we have mines all over LaSalle County. If you look at it actually from the sky, it looks like the moon. Um, just because it's been so decimated and carved out uh, because of industry coming in and no longer is it being just servicing mom and pop shops or um, just for glass manufacturing. We still have a lot of that in Ottawa. It's going for hydraulic fracturing and because of the oil and gas boom. So it just blew up and with the boom, we saw a boom um, in, in LaSalle County. So I really didn't know growing up uh, what was happening in my backyard in that degree and, um, before really waking up in my early 20s. And so I began to organize with a group of rural farmers against the proliferation of the mining operations. And so we kind of got together this ragtag team of, of folks that were really being hit hard on the front lines in terms of their generational farms being ripped away from them because they had a mine that was proposing to site right next to them. And so these farmers were just being encircled by all these different mining proposals and transportation facilities and so on. And um, really my main uh, awakening into this was when I found out that there was a mine that was being proposed outside of Starbrock State Park. And so I know for a lot of folks who uh, are from Illinois, Chicago and around the area into here in Northwest Indiana, they know about Starbrock State Park and just how, how, how much of a precious gem that it really is. And so the fact that we knew about this mine that was proposing to open directly adjacent to the park entrance and knowing that all of the respiratory issues and the environmental impacts, the fact that they were just going to be decimating wetlands um, on the site as they, they unfortunately tend to do um, was just and I was in awe and shocked uh, at that being that I never had really any previous uh, you know, environmental organizing experience or any sort of professional experience up until that. And so I felt, I felt it in my heart that I really wanted to speak out about this after reading about it actually in a paper 
And so I showed up to a, a, a council hearing, actually, just I think a few, about a month or so later after I read about that. And it was when they had a transport facility that was coming in to service this mine. And so I came up and everyone's like, who, who is this girl? And I just came up to the mic and I just started speaking out against it. And how could you? And the fact that you know, you're stealing away our future. And at that point, right, um, as a young person, I was actually 20 at the time. Um, I'm now 32. And, uh, you know, they weren't used to that. This is before, you know, the youth climate strikes and the fact that really there was now this worldwide awakening, which has been beautiful and amazing to watch. And so I, I stood there and then started to friend all the folks within the room. And so it was such a beautiful beautiful uh, night. And, and so I really started to grow a family through that and, and community through that. And um, I will say lastly, too, just with background on what's happening with, with LaSalle uh, County today, um, actually, there was just an explosion just before I actually hopped on here with Deb. There was an explosion in January and in LaSalle, just outside of Ottawa at Karis Chemical. And so a fire broke out and they blanketed the community with potassium permanganate and um, the chemicals within that. And so there was uh, just, there's a lot of mass concern across the community because of mercury, because of uh, manganese, which in high concentration is just terrible um, and uh, detrimental to human health and especially to those most vulnerable, um, including young folks. So I've been, um, trying to work with the community there and connecting them to resources and supporting as I'm able to, um, given this, this explosion, the fact that as I've touched on, there's just so many interconnected issues back at home. And it's really been such a cumulative impact of issues um, stemming from the frac sand mining, stemming from this recent explosion that I said, as, as mentioned, just blanketed the community. And um, they're still recovering the, the, the operation currently. Um, they're, they're rebuilding the plant because it was just uh, devastated. So uh, there, there's a lot of unknowns within the community, the exposure and so on. And um, uh, lastly, I'll say that we have a legacy issue at home with uh, radium contamination. And so when I talk about uh, my, my mentors and the fact that we stand on the shoulders of giants and the people that we look to and come before us, I think a lot about the radium girls and the fact that, um, uh, much a long time ago, back in the 1920s through the thirties, there were women that were unknowingly poisoned by radium by their employers because, they were told to ingest it when they were painting uh, watch style faces for um, for um, folks that were on the field, right, uh, for servicing the military. And um, they slowly ingested the paint and had no idea that radium was was bad for them because they were telling it was a miracle. And you had the president and you had right the the celebrities and, and folks at the time just everyday people that were hailing it as this miracle and so they would put it in in chocolates and it was in water and it was a magic elixir and so mm -hmm. they were seen as just these shining women and and really uh a societal uh symbol and people and, and and women that people aspired to be and unfortunately they they met a very early fate um some some lived out 
about longer lives, but many of them fought on their deathbeds to be able to get justice for what they suffered at the hands of the malfeasance of industry. And so I just wanted to kind of wrap it up there in terms of where I come from and why I do this work and fighting for my home, where I come from, and and, and thinking about today, what does that look like for Michigan City and for my for the region where I now call home. And it's very much, um, I've always continued to fight for environmental justice. It's really been in, in my in my blood and in my heart um, for, for a very long time. So I have really with building Just Transition Northwest Indiana, uh, that's what I aspire to do. And we aspire to do within our work is ensuring environmental justice for folks here in Michigan City and across the region. That's um, an amazing story. And um, and it just, it makes me so grateful that you're here in Indiana now with us, um, because I know that you have adopted, um, you know, Michigan City as your home. And, um, and, I, and I, you know, I can see you care for it as much as you cared for your own home. Um, and so, and we have lots to care about here in Michigan City. Um, and um, what we're going to talk about mostly is coal ash. Uh, and I think that, you know, that's what drove, I think, um, the creation of Just Transition Northwest Indiana. Um, you know, I believe that refers to the transition uh, to to shut down coal burning, electricity producing uh, plants like we have in Michigan City, and which we have, you know, all all over. I mean, they're everywhere. They're all over, and um, and I think uh, many people know now that um, Indiana actually has more coal ash ponds uh, than any other state. Um, so, mm -hmm. coal ash, of course, is the waste product from uh, burning coal. It's the ash that comes out, and as we know, full of all kinds of uh, very toxic heavy metals, mercury, arsenic, I don't know, cadmium. I think. I mean, it's a really, it's really mm -hmm. a lot of bad stuff in there. So, um, and what the uh, electricity generating plants did was take the coal ash. Um, well, first they put it in the ground <laughs> over by uh, pines in the neighborhood. But then when, uh, you know, we all realized that wasn't a good idea because everyone was getting sick, um, they put it into coal ash ponds right on site, right next to their um, uh, their plants. And um, and in, and they these plants um, because they use water to cool their operations are all located next to uh, major waterways, and of course in uh, here in Michigan City uh, the uh, electricity generating plant is located right next to Lake Michigan, and the fat coal ash ponds are located between the generating plant and Lake Michigan. So, um, and of course, um, you know, there's no liner under those pits. Um, that is, you know, all of that, every time it rains, all of that, you know, precipitation is pushing those toxic uh, metals and everything into the ground, uh, which of course migrate right into Lake Michigan, uh, which is our source of drinking water. And this is a problem around the state. Um, they're on the, the Ohio River. Um, I don't know if there's one on the Wabash, um, but um, but it is a problem all over the state and all over the country, frankly. But, you know, we're going we're gonna to just talk about Indiana and we're mostly just going to talk about Michigan City. So, um, so you uh, created this organization, Just Transition Northwest Indiana. And the idea was to really, um, like you, you know, like you said, you were in a, you know, in a sacrifice zone. And, you know, now the area around the electricity generating plants, you know, those are becoming sacrifice zones as well. Um, of course, they're already experiencing all of the air pollution that comes with a coal burning plant, uh, both in terms of the emissions um, and in the, you know, the fact that 
piles of coal just sit there with the wind blowing, you know, across it into these uh, neighborhoods. So mm -hmm. you have really wrapped your arms around the neighborhood, uh, around our uh electricity generating plant here in Michigan City and um, and have done such an am amazing job of really engaging um, the local community. Um, it's hard. It's hard to engage people in these kinds of disputes. I've done it. You know, I've done work before. I worked on lead issues um, and same sorts of, you know, sacrificial zones. Mm -hmm. um, and and it's really hard. It's hard to get people. You know, I mean, they're already just trying to live. Uh, and so asking them, well, now we want you to take on this kind of altruistic, um, you know, mission that will take up a lot of your time and uh, and really piss you off um, a lot. And uh, so uh, so it's hard. Um, and, but you have done an amazing job um, and you've worked with great local organizations like NAACP um, and others um, and other organizations. But um, but first, we need to figure out, you know, what is the real problem here? So if you can tell us so. Um, you've done work mostly with EPA, but also, you know, trying in the state legislature. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to look at this. So why don't we why don't we start first with the Indiana State Legislature because that's going to be the shortest story um, that we have <laughs> to tell about about action to remedy this. So tell us what you've been working on with the state legislature and where we are now. Thank you. I think again, thank you, Deb, for your kind words and feel exactly the same way. Uh, so yeah, with the state legislature, oh my gosh, <laughs> it, has, it has been another circus of a year um, at the Indiana State Legislature. Uh, there was a lot of incredible momentum and uh, amazing uh, just people power that was moving this session. I, I do want to give a shout out to Confront the Climate Crisis, which is a youth-led organization, and it's entirely youth-led. And so the amazing folks within, such as uh, Raul Dure and all of the, the students and folks that make up that group, they actually had a lot of momentum, as mentioned, uh, advancing climate legislation. So they wanted to establish a climate solutions task force, and they got a number, a very impressive number of Republican sponsors. And so this was very much bipartisan legislation that they were introducing within the state Senate. Uh, they did get a hearing on it. And so uh, Niemeyer agreed, Senator Niemeyer did agree to a hearing. And so they got 30 straight minutes of being able to speak their truth and got a number of experts and just uh, groups in solidarity speaking and support. And unfortunately, that bill was not brought to a vote. And so uh, I think that's incredibly telling of the Indiana State Legislature and just where we're at today and the fact that they can just again, just just turn away. And the fact that they've had for, I mean, this has been, they've been building up to this point. And um, rather than, again, really hearing the, the cries and the calls of those that, have, again, are most impacted and the ones that are due to inherit the climate crisis, right. they're knocking at their doors and saying, do something, right? Save us do anything, something. And this is where it starts as a, as a task force, which feels right. right, a very, very reasonable ask. Right. Uh, beautifully written again everything that that was that you could imagine was was in it and so that was refused to for a vote and unfortunately that again like as mentioned is really the course of what we saw within the legislative session that's still continuing and um 
what happened too is uh, thinking about what we've been doing is we were able to get uh, coal ash bills introduced again within this, this session. This has been now three years of working with Representative uh, Pat Boy, as everyone um, knows, and has been such an ally, as well as Senator Rodney Pohl. And so now for the third session in a row, uh, previously actually with former Senator Karen Tallian at the start, uh, we have been introducing these bills. I, I, I talk uh, about this fondly. I think Susan might have mentioned on the show as well, but I remember the first time we all came together, it was Thanksgiving weekend, and we're all oh, yeah. compiling on a Google Doc uh, what we wanted within this legislation. So it was just this... Um, beautiful brainstorm and wish list of, of all of the things. And then we narrowed it. We took it to legislative services. And ultimately, that that was the first year of our legislation. And so essentially, just uh, for folks, what this was calling for and what it has called for is a clean closure of coal ash pits uh, that are in contact with groundwater, in the floodplain, just in vulnerable areas like in seismic uh, zones as well, and ensuring that the, that toxic ash is fully removed move to higher ground, uh, land filled with a liner, as you, as you mentioned, Deb, is the fact that there's there's so many that, that aren't. And then ensuring that, if not that, that also, and that rather, are the, ensuring that the ash is also encapsulated and beneficially reused, so, such as in cement and wallboard and all that. So that's what we mean when we talk about clean closure and what we called for in the legislation and directing the Indiana Department of Environmental Management to heed that to mandate that and ensure that that's what's implemented within their program. And so our bills, also, uh, though we didn't make it to a hearing, um, we tried to advance it. We, we, we did everything we could in terms of uh, continuing to make direct outreach and, and, and lobbying legislators and getting even a Republican co-sponsor, Senator Suglik, on the Senate bill. And again, it, unfortunately, it, it did die. And so uh, this was the third year, and we're still very committed to seeing progress at the state legislature and, and keeping on with really the, that rally cry around the fact that, as we're talking about with the climate crisis and the very interconnected coal ash crisis in our state, that we have right coal ash uh, pits that are just sitting, polluting in contact with groundwater and same with our drinking water supplies. And so uh, where we're at today uh, with legislation is we've been watching a bill called House Bill 1623. And this is actually a bill that folks can still take action on. Uh, essentially what it is, is we see it as uh, very burdensome um, and necessary uh, red tape for our state agencies and having to add uh, extra hoops for them to jump through and preventing them to, from doing their jobs. And so um, basically what this is, is uh, it boils down to impacting the Indiana Department of Environmental Management, but all of our state agencies. Mm -hmm. And what it looks like for item uh, is that basically it says that they cannot institute uh, more stringent than uh, rulemaking program to regulate coal ash. And so we know that the federal rule is very lax. Uh, there are many glaring exemptions and issues with it. And we'll talk about that here a little bit later um, in terms of what that looks like on the local and the federal front. But uh, we know that that's the case and item is understaffed, is, is underfunded. And so that's what it's been in the state of Indiana is there has been very lax regulation and action on coal ash. And 
Um, so in 1623, HB 1623, we really want to stop that. And uh, we have Hoosier Environmental Council and other uh, allied groups that are taking action and really leading on this issue. So folks can actually call up their senator right now and ask for them to vote no on um, House Bill 1623. I will say lastly is that there's a number of other bills moving. I mean, we know that we've been seeing a slurry of um, envir environmental justice, but as well as um, anti-social um, justice bills. And so please do take action in whatever way you can, right? Support the amazing work um, on the ground from ACLU to Planned Parenthood and the other uh, groups that are, are doing this work um, and, and against the, the laws and bills that are really undermining our fundamental human rights. So uh, there is, again, no shortage of ways that they can take action, that folks can take action, and um, just really want to implore folks to reach out, know who your legislator is, right, first and foremost, and make those connections because there are so many, so many resources available and ways to stop the bad, but also think about um, the good and 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 seeing hopefully some progress from this session, even though again it feels like for us, especially for within the environmental justice movement, it was such a, a gut punch um, with the coal ash legislation and with the climate uh, bills. But I I know that again we are very dedicated to continuing to see it through and take local action, especially right now. So we have a lot of exciting things that are coming up and planned. And so I just wanna say lastly, uh, just shouting out um, Representative Pat Boy and Senator Rodney Pohl, because if yeah. not for them, like, again, none of this would be possible and they believe so much in the issue and they really believe in, in frontline issues and the issues that impact everyday people. And they're always, and they have been consistently on the side of, of good and justice and in doing what's right by the people and their constituency. So I think Debbie would agree. <laughs> oh yes, absolutely. So yeah, and and so, and I wanna talk about, um, you know, it makes me wanna ask, well, where are the legislators from these other collage sites in Indiana? You know, where, you know, why aren't they with us? What, you know, what's going on? Um, but anyway, we'll get to that another, that's another conversation. Um, Can I say one last thing? Sure, sure. So it's really, it was really fascinating. I will say, um, cause I'm like, I know Susan's gonna be like, you needed to mention this, but there's a bill called Senate Bill 9 and so basically it focuses on um, the disposal of like renewable energy oh, right, technology. Right. <laughs> right. We're like, you know, talking well, about- I think that's from our own Jim Pressel, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. he's up, up here too, yeah. Yeah, and so again, it's it's been a capacity thing. So we try to follow as much as we can, but as a small team. So we've been taking notice of that. And I will say that um, Senator Walker actually made uh, a comment in the Indy Star uh, article recently that basically admitted to the failure of the supermajority of uh, leadership that said basically we I know we failed on coal ash <laughs> we could have basically we could have done more we failed on coal ash let's not fail on this and you know regarding to Senate Bill Nine oh, and I did just see the that. fact just I did the see fact that. Remark. Right. And I'm just yeah. like, oh, my God. you know, and I mean, right. yes. And I, I'm, 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 you know, the fact that he, that he actually said that I was shocked and, and admitted to that. But just the irony of the fact that they think that there's not that this isn't after like there's nothing we can do now. We just need to move on to the next thing. And the right. coal ash action is just is just done for. There's still so much they can do, but refuse. Oh, yeah. 
And so right. just, just pointing that out that like, please everyone check out that recent Indie Star well, article. I, I have found the yeah. distinction. Um, I, I have clarified this, um, this, um, seeming inconsistency um, because of course it came up again when the governor um, was outraged that uh, they were going to bring, the EPA was going to bring some of the toxic waste that was spilled from the East Palestine, Ohio train crash to Indiana. What? No, all of a sudden, no, no, we can't have any of that in Indiana. And you're like, well, we already have a lot of toxic stuff. You know, that, that site where that that toxic stuff was going to from East Palestine was a lined, regulated, controlled landfill. Um, and it was approved by the EPA to take such toxic waste um, because of the safety precautions that they take at that landfill site. Uh, they have a, a significant liner. It's a double liner. They have a leachate um, collection system uh, so that precipitation doesn't allow any of the toxic stuff to go outside of the lined area. Um, and they have, you know, monitors, water monitors um, to make sure that somehow there's not a leak. Um, but our coal ash... <laughs> is sitting in an unlined pit right next to our source of drinking water and held there really basically by a, an old rusty seawall that is starting to, you know, leak. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so I mean, so so what's the inconsistency? Why so, so much outrage about this, you know, and why so much concern about the future waste that may be produced in 30 years from renewable energy sources like, um, <laughs> like solar panels, well, yeah. the fact is, is those companies are not paying off the legislators yet. There's no <laughs> one and they're paying them. You know, no one from the railroad over in Ohio uh, is paying our legislators. So, of course, they can be outraged about them. And, mm -hmm. you know, and no one from the, you know, solar energy people are paying at least enough, you know, yet to keep the legislators from picking on them. Um mm -hmm. Uh, but the, you know, the coal, the coal industry, um, you know, the utility industries, they pay good money to mm. uh, keep those legislators quiet on the on the coal ash issue. So that's where the that's where the difference is. Um, I don't, you know. Yeah. So mm. anyway, so. So, okay. so but I do want to talk about, too, because so so now we'll switch a little bit to the EPA, the federal, you know, federal regulators. And um, and so they have. Uh, and, and you, we talked earlier and, and it sounds the rule from 2015 is the one that's requiring any coal ash cleanup, um, but it was not, it's not, it didn't cover enough. So tell us what the problem is with the current regulation of cleaning up coal ash and these transitioning coal burning plants. Yeah, thank you for that. And and, and going through and I have a, an added comment at the end of this, but to answer <laughs> your question. <laughs> There's so much moving. Uh, yeah. So essentially, within with the EPA, with the federal rule, uh, initially that was that was passed in 2015 under the Obama administration, and they basically passed good enough legislation. What they saw as good enough uh, at that point, and uh, basically it was right the the first uh, of its kind in terms of really addressing the impacts of coal ash on water, uh, offering uh, a lot of comprehensive uh, regulations within it and so on. So it was seen, I think, as a win in many regards, but 
uh, the deeper that we took a look at it and the more that we got involved in the local coal ash work here in Michigan City and the fact that we have this this ticking coal ash time bomb in our backyards on the shores of Lake Michigan, we realized within the 2015 rule, sorry about that, that we have um, we have this glaring omission, this sorry, this glaring um, exemption contained within the rule. And basically what it does is that uh, it's, it's 300 landfill sites across the country um, or half a billion tons of coal ash that sit within uh, these legacy inactive uh, landfill sites. And so what I mean when I say that is that um, all of this ash that was produced pre-2015 that was landfilled on site, and this isn't, um, these aren't coal ash ponds, but it's landfill, um, all of that waste is just not regulated under the EPA. This is what's regulated is the active stuff. It's the coal ash ponds. And so that's why NIPSCO is currently um, is wrapping up their excavation or digging up the coal ash from those ponds here in Michigan City and leaving all of the landfills, uh, the landfill ash rather, uh, what we estimate is up to 2 million tons. Um, um, just here in Michigan of, City. Just in Michigan City uh, that are is staying there indefinitely on the shores of Lake Michigan. And so that just is not part of the federal regulation. And so as mentioned, is like, they passed what they did and, and got it through. But now we have a real opportunity uh, under the Biden administration and the fact that we need to continue to hold the Biden administration accountable and and ensuring that all of these promises they've been making. And as as I was talking to Deb earlier, is that right, that um, Biden has not been following through on, such as with the passage of the Willow Project that opens up Bright Alaska and um, sacred lands to even more drilling. Um, he is not delivering on it. But under with the EPA and with this rule now coming up for review, we're really hoping that we can get the closure of this exemption, this loophole once and for all, and that all of these communities, including Michigan City, Waukegan, Illinois, and uh, those across uh, 38 states are finally allowed to um, have access to hope and that uh, finally, coal ash that's sitting in their backyards will be regulated. Now, we don't know um, for sure if that is going to be um, definitively in the rule, but we are optimistic that um, when the draft rule comes in um, and up for comment on May 5th, that we'll see that they're going to address this, this exemption and hopefully strengthen the federal rule. So, that glaring loophole that has just devastated um, our communities for, you know, up in Michigan City, it's been almost a century. Right. <laughs> um, and ensuring that that's closed, yeah, for, for once and for all. So that's a, a big opportunity that we're seeing right now. And I can share a little bit about, um, I know that was a lot, but like, how did that come into effect? Um, so I can share a little bit about um, the legal end of that and the fact that the reason that now EPA is looking at the reviewing and updating the coal ash combustion residual rule is because of a consent decree uh, that was reached with Earth Justice, NAACP, and other plaintiffs. Um, so just really quickly on that. Um, so that's basically what happened. Uh, Earth Justice came to us. 
I guess it was probably, um, I mean, it's been uh, maybe a year and a half ago when we were originally talking about this and the thought of uh, uh, taking taking legal action. And so we had this discussion and ultimately it resulted into Earth Justice taking the lead and filing a lawsuit against the EPA uh, for their failure to regulate this these inactive landfills that have no small footprint across our communities. And so they finally filed suit. Um, and so over the past few months, um, all of the, um, you know, with the legal settlement and discussions, um, ultimately what's transpired is a consent decree that uh, instructs the EPA to uh, review the coal combustion residual rule uh, to ensure that uh, that they consider updating to include the exemption, the removal of that exemption, and to, again, overall strengthen the rule. Uh, because there is a lot of glaring issues. It's not even just that. It's also just local implementation of the rule and the fact that um, there's so many plants, right, that are in non-compliance. And so that's a number of issues, too, um, that need to be addressed in addition to this. But we feel hopeful, and I was actually um, a standing declarant on the lawsuit as well, and um, you know felt 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 very deeply that I wanted to be able to to tell my story and why does this matter, and the the fact that uh, Michigan City again deserves to be able to not fear this ticking time bomb, and that at right. any so, point, right because when they close, I mean in twenty twenty eight, you know they uh, you know at least the plan is to take down that building then there will be all this kind of open land. And, and then we have to talk about, well, what will that land be suitable to use for? Um, because much of it is this unregulated coal ash landfill. And so, so, you know, so when you say that, yes, Michigan City does deserve to have some control over how that piece of property is managed. Um, you know, is it going to, you know, and it is right on the lake. It's very, you know, it's a wonderful piece of property that, you know, if the utility was not there, um, that would allow access from a community who's very, had very little access mm -hmm. to the beachfront um, all these years. Um, mm -hmm. And so now, now that, that, you know, that utility is, is going to be taken away, you know, can those people really use that land? Could it be, you know, could it be open to the public? Can, is it suitable for human contact? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I mean? so this is, you know, these are the stakes um, that we're talking about, um, you know, when we talk about how this should be cleaned up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, abs I mean, absolutely. I can't, I can't agree enough. I think with, so with this site, if it's not cleaned up, right, none of that will be possible. So right. we, I, you know, we always talk about the fact that Michigan City and all of our communities, and like, as we know, again, this isn't just a Michigan City thing. This is the region. This is uh, systemic. Uh, right When we talk about environmental racism, uh, Michigan City and the West Side community, Gary East Chicago, these are honestly textbook cases, right? Um, look no further than in Northwest Indiana, the fact that industry in Michigan City and um, across again into Lake County, the fact that none of those communities can easily access the beachfront, right? right. The, the, the beautiful source, right, of, of wonder that is uh, Lake Michigan for so many things. And the fact that we are so clearly uh, cut off and there's that dividing line. And so that has everything to do with 
right? Black and brown communities and low-income communities being on, you know, in the backyard of, of these coal plants, of these refineries, of, of the mills and these toxic projects. So none of us um, across the region or in Michigan City can ever dream of, of what can be possible at that site if it is going to be um, this toxic. You talked about, I'll say um, too, is that you talked about pines, right? With with the with landfill there that NIPSCO left in, in their backyard, all of the ash that they contaminated that community um, and the community can never come back. They can never drink that water again. And so, no, no. um, and the fact that, you know, um, it's the I mean, it's still being cleaned up. There's been so many issues and delays with that. It, it is horrendous. And, um, and some people are still on, are drinking bottled water. Yeah. And they, can't, they, they can't drink the water that comes out of the faucet. Absolutely. And I'll say, too, is that they decided to, you know, draw basically draw a line in the sand and say you get water and, and the rest of you don't. And so, right. yes, there's more uh, homes that are on um, now municipal water from Michigan City right. that is Lake Michigan. Um, but there are still so many, too, that are um, are on the their, their, the well water, the groundwater there. And so that's the way, Mich you know, Nipsco said is that, well, that's not within the plume. But as we know, um, Groundwater clashes are very mysterious. Right. I, I've often been very skeptical of people's plume maps. It's yeah. like, how do you know? Yeah, yeah, I, right. I just, Especially all your all the work, yeah, within within the uh, lead contamination too. So, I mean, that's the thing is that uh, there will be there will be no future for that site if it is if, if is just left um, unremediated. I mean, you know, that cleared up not remediated. And I mean, they could certainly put another toxic project on there. They could put a warehousing, you know, industrial infrastructure. Sure, they could do that, but that's not right what Michigan City needs. And certainly um, for it's for us to be able to say that and say, here's right. you know, what we want to see. And I think a lot of what we'll hear is that we just, again, going back to your point is we want to be able to access the lakefront. We want every single person, especially the West Side, to be able to access that and, and walk across and be there and to be able to, to be within um, nature and within the lake. And so that is definitely the dream that we have. And so when we talk about this issue, it's right, it's beyond just coal ash. And that's why we talk about what we mean with a just transition. We Our work uh, largely focuses on a just transition in the energy sector. So as noted, uh, the fact of transitioning from the carbon-based extractive economy of today, uh, right, de dependent on coal and fossil fuels to the regenerative renewable economy of tomorrow. And that has, when we talk about that, we really are trying to focus on what does it look like to redress those harms and ongoing pollution issues along the way. And so adjust, there is no uh, there is no room for, again, coal ash in our backyards, toxic contamination that remains in place indefinitely in a just transition. A just transition means right equity and justice for for all, for the impacted workers, for the impacted communities and, and everyone along the way. Uh, and so we're excited to see that renewable energy is coming online, but also we need to ensure that their waste is cleaned up, that the community has a say, that has a say for that, the future of the site and the future of our city because we're in such a change uh, moment, as you know, in so many ways. Right. And so if we're uh, not, 
were not there at the forefront of the decision-making process and not even just the seat at the table, but at the forefront, um, we know that industry and the powers that be <laughs> are going to make the decisions uh, for us and, and ultimately uh, without us and, and without, you know, leaving, leaving us behind largely. So the, those are all the things. And, and again, ultimately why we talk about uh, a just transition as this holistic framework and not just purely retiring the coal plant and bringing renewable energy online. Uh, I think too is for us, we really wanna see community centered solutions. And that, right. that doesn't mean monopoly utilities having power. <laughs> we want right, to, right, you know, right. we talk about dismantling power and and ensuring that, you know, right, we the people, uh, the grassroots are the ones, right, um, that ultimately are able to reclaim that power that was taken from us, um, and that that has been um, because of, as a consequence of industry coming in and just uh, you know desecrating our our lake shore to make way for all of their toxic infrastructure. Right, and they're um, making plenty of money. You know, it's not. Yeah. You know, it's not like they're, you know, they're a nonprofit organization over there and they're making plenty of money. And so I wanted to remember before we moved away from talking about the state, um, even though we already have, we'll talk about more of the EPA action. But um, we have to remember, too, that part of the real problem at the state level is the IURC, which is the Indiana Utilities Regulatory Commission, which approves rate hikes um, and which is very uh, happily uh, willing to raise uh, our utility bills to pay for the cleanup. <laughs> uh, so, and, and so, you know, the, you know, we want to talk about helping this community and, you know, getting this cleaned up. And there are just so many, you know, so many crises um, that are distracting from that. And this is one of them. It's that we have to fight and you did such an extremely great job of really uh, putting together uh, a, a very well-planned um, protest uh, event and a, a testimony by local people to the IURC. Pat Boy got them to come up and have a meeting here. And, and it was an outstanding event. And they really heard from local people. And those local people really expressed themselves so, mm -hmm. so well. Um, but the, the question is, will they still... Uh, allow NIPSCO to make the cost of the of the inadequate cleanup, the cleanup we don't even think is good enough, to fall on the backs of us in the community, because mm -hmm. that's what's happening. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so this is an again another you know, you know tendril of this um, this octopus problem um, that we that we have to work on here. So mm -hmm. anyway, so just to get that in there too, that this you know the, who's going to pay for it. Um, is another issue that we are all going to have to argue about um, because NIPSCO wants me to pay for the mess that they knew they were making um, when they made it um, mm -hmm. and, 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 and not to, you know, invade their profits um, mm -hmm. at all. Uh, so mm -hmm. er, that's just mm -hmm. another thing we had to fight about. So, okay. So back to the EPA thing. So there, we're hoping there will be this rule that is released, a model rule, a proposed rule um, released in May. And that's when we will have our opportunity to say whether the rule is adequate or not. 
that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're, we're working our way up uh, to being able to talk about this, educate folks that this is coming, having all of uh, the resources and support ready to go once that rule comes out and we'll have time to provide public comment. And we're going to be demanding that they have hearings in every region, including region five, where we're at um, here in uh Indiana, Illinois, and basically the Midwest state. So that will be come time for folks to be able to influence, to provide comments, uh, be able to support in person through per, uh, personal testimony as well, just being uh, there during the hearing. We're, we're hoping to pack the halls uh, as much as possible and really getting people out in mass to ensure that uh, if indeed it has, it closes that the exemption we've been talking about uh, and is 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 proposing uh, strengthening the the rule overall. Uh, if it is, you know, what we're hoping it will be, and certainly just being able to also talk about uh, just generally ways that they can continue to strengthen it through local enforcement. We are going to be uh, at all of those hearings, providing the public comments, and making sure that people from across the country uh, have what they need to be able to uh, make their voices heard on it. So, and we know that too, that industry interests uh, and meddling is, is going to be a big issue that uh, certainly the investor-owned utilities, NIPSCO and all of them are not going to like this. And so we know that they're going to put in, you know, a lot of money and a lot of uh, power to try to stop it. And so that's something that folks have to be uh, aware of, as, as we know, in, in all these processes that uh, we know the utility lobby and, and all of them um, with uh, that have power are going to be fighting against it. So we'll be ready. Excellent. <laughs> we'll Excellent. I know you will. So we're almost out of time. But I want you to just to say, I know that Just Transition, um, you know, has been just kind of a, a coalition, um, you know, um, up till now, but um, you're hoping to get a more formal organization uh, established. And um, and that's great. Um, but how can people reach out to help you with this organization and the work you do? Yeah, thank you for asking about that. That's my favorite question. So I know <laughs> we didn't talk as much about the organizing, but we have yeah, so much people power behind us and so many incredible partners behind us, uh, including the Laporte County NAACP, Earth Justice, Hoosier Environmental Council, Citizens Action Coalition. Um, so to be able to be a part of that, uh, folks can reach out to us using our website and it's jtnwi.org is, is the acronym. And so they can fill out and, and submit their interest to just uh, have us reach out. And if they're interested in becoming a member, um, folks can reach out to me anytime. So feel free to include my my contact information as well and make well, sure- Well, you're just gonna have to say it. You have to say what you're gonna do. It's ashley at jtnwi.org. And um, it's, yeah, very easy. And I, I will make sure to be able to reach back out. Let me know if you're interested, questions. Uh, we're always looking for folks uh, to join in. We really focus on the Northwest Indiana region. So largely Lake Porter and LaPorte County here, um, as well as Jasper and Newton. Uh, but again, we have uh, support from across the state and the country. So there's a place for everyone in Just Transition NWI and 
uh, we're always looking again for partnerships and ways that we can come together to build power for environmental justice uh, across our community. So please uh, reach out to us. And again, we're a very small organization, uh, soon to be nonprofit. So we are, <laughs> we're, you know, getting, getting, uh, we're getting our, our footing right now. And so we're really excited to, to be on this journey and um, being able to continue to expand internally. And so it's a really exciting time for Just Transition NWI. And um, there are ways in terms of, again, just being a part. If you reach out to us, uh, you'll be able to join in on our monthly membership meetings. We also have a number of events happening, such as a beach cleanup that's happening um, for World Water Day. And so that's going to be happening on the 26th, Sunday the 26th right. at 1, uh, here in Michigan City at Washington Park Beach. So it's going to be a day of fun. We'll have some uh, partners to be able to speak on their issues and, and just be a fun uh, family-filled day. So we do that. We also, again, do lots of protests and uh, different opportunities, community forums. So again, I think there's a place for everyone to show up and shine within our organization. And I hope you all will reach out. That's great. And, um, and I, you know, I just have to say, you've wrapped your arms around this community and this community has wrapped its arms around you too. Um, you know, um, people have such great things to say about you here in Michigan City, and they really see your, your really authentic um, passion for this and dedication. So you have just done a, in, an enormous amount of work and really has benefited this community very much. So, all right. So we're out of time. So thank you, though, for joining me. And I hope everyone will, you know, reach out to you and get involved because it is fun. You're a fun group. I, you know, I do things with you and it's fun. You know, we always have fun. So anyway. <laughs> Emphasis on fun, guests. <laughs> thank you so much, Deb. It's a pleasure. And, and likewise, we always appreciate you. Thanks for the opportunity.